Hi, I'm Victor Milligan. And I'm Jennifer Isabella. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. And here with us today is Jay Patizal, Principal Analyst at Forrester, to discuss the future of agencies. Welcome, Jay. Thank you for having me. So, Jay, WPP's earnings announcements were eye-catching, but not terribly surprising. It's just that the numbers for WPP were quite stark. So can you go through maybe the dynamics in the marketplace that are affecting WPP and, frankly, all agencies? Yeah, there, uh, there are a lot. Just to be clear, it's not just WPP. It's all the, the holding companies. But the, the dynamics are things like insourcing of agency resources and capabilities. Um, clients are wanting to, to bring these things in-house so that, because they can gain efficiencies and they can gain control by doing that. There's new competitors in the marketplace. The consultancies are an example uh, of that. Maybe not a major acquisition oh, yeah. spree for years now. Yeah, major acquisition spree in the in the tune of billions. Uh, last count we had, they had seventy some companies that were purchased by some of the major mm-hmm. uh, consultancies, uh, all in the realms of uh, marketing services, design, creative capabilities, digital. They're becoming a formidable competitor. You're seeing a lot of transparency issues in the marketplace. There's a pretty seminal piece of research put out by the ANA a couple of years ago called the K2 report that showed the advertising, digital advertising and digital media marketplace is not nearly as transparent as it should have been. Mm-hmm. Lots of concerns about viewability, lots of concerns about the actual working dollars in the marketplace. Here, this is where Unilever made a major statement in the marketplace, which is they they expressed deep concern about sort of what their brand sits astride and how much they really have control of it or even true understanding of it. So just to get a sense of it, you know, against a nine, eight billion dollar total spend, 2.45 goes to digital. And they've expressed deep concerns and very specifically to Google and Facebook that unless they clean up sort of the way that their brand is handled in those environments, they're going to see that money move away. I mean, these are big dollars being put at play here. Absolutely. Those brand safety concerns that they have with the tech giants in the YouTube platform, Facebook platform, is a great concern. And, and that too affects the agencies, WPP and others, because they're the ones that are building the content and being paid to, to build the content that are placed in those environments, in the advertising pre-roll and display environments. And so when Unilever starts to contract on Google and Facebook, that will obviously have a, a roller coaster effect, you know, domino effect uh, with the uh, agencies. It seems like there's three pieces here. The pieces are what the agencies have been historically great at, which is the creative side of the house, is something that's still coveted, still in high demand. In fact, arguably undersupplied against the demand. Then you have these very complex holding structures, which have been in place for a while now, which I know they're wrestling with how to, how to make them more efficient and more market-facing. And then the middle part, which is we go to transparency, which is how does the ad get placed? How does it all work? And it seems like that middle piece has been in people's focus for a while, but it's just really hard to get at. It's really hard to understand sort of forensically, how does it really work, whether it's in a digital context or non-digital context? Uh, absolutely, because client solution to understanding that is bringing it in-house and actually having control over placing that environment and having control of their contracts with the uh, tech providers and, and platforms in order to do so. And so that's that's dollars right out of the agency. And it's transparency and uh, visibility and control in the hands of the marketers so that they can understand where their budgets are going, how much of their dollars are working dollars, and what, what type of effect and yield that they're getting out of it. One of the things that you just hit on is that going direct, right? Building the relationships with the Googles and the Facebooks of the world, but also just publishers too, like 
content studios and developing different types of content too. That's that's all part of this play. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, uh, there, there's a there's a whole set of alternative creators, if you will, uh, other than other than agencies. It can be the publisher, it can be uh, small production companies. There are even Uber like marketplaces for creative talent that are essentially freelance talent in which you can use the platform to brief a team on your need, they bid and provide a creative concept. Um, and if you like it, you prove it and, and pay for it and produce it. Mm-hmm. So the early parts of the gig economy playing oh, out Oh, yes, here. absolutely. <laughs> but what you see is you see sort of this collective unhappiness and collective distrust of the system. And so the response would be, I'll bring it in-house because at least I get to control it and I can see what I can see. Jen, you mentioned the publishers, which I'll bring this in-house because I, now I want right. more control of this environment. You have the freelance stuff coming in as well. Yeah, the consultants coming in, I'm trying to assume attempting to in part repair the entire process. And then Unilever came out with an announcement with IBM to use blockchain from a process perspective, forensically look at what the hell's going on in there. I mean, there's a lot of concern. There's this, there's a, a ton of resources and money being wasted in this complex opaque system. It seems like it's at, in, at least at some part the heart of the problem here. Yeah, waste is a, is a big piece of it. The way that this used to work, and this very much reside in the responsibility of the agencies, so it's on them, is you would plan your audience based upon a large demographic, uh, a large target market, and go out and manually place insertions and campaigns. And there's a lot of waste in that. There's the Peter Wanamaker's famous quote, uh, I know that 50% of my advertising works. I just don't know which 50%. Yeah. We fast forward to today, and today's uh, DMP and DSP technology allows you to essentially create a, a universal buying target, and you plug it into the system, uh, and and it helps you control reach and frequency, and it helps you uh, it helps you control uh, the number of insertions and the uh, the number of, of views, the number of impressions, and and so there's more efficiency within that. The agencies utilizing that type of technology. And the in-house groups are utilizing that technology. It's, and it's helping to create a great deal of visibility and transparency in the marketplace. And, and it also allows you to, to go and look and diagnose the situation and understand where the waste is and how to fleece it out. But I guess that's, that's where the pot boils over for me, which is all those technologies and all that implied visibility aren't paying off. I mean, you have a system that is still fraught with manual processes, with humans doing what technology should do. You have very heavy manpower agencies. You have a complex system of middlemen and and entities that people don't really understand why they're there, what they do. So technology isn't really serving its, at the highest of level, is not serving its core purpose. I would agree with that. And and the, the, the best example of it is the CMO does not, know that their ad would be in uh, a safe environment. Right. All, the, all, all the technology, all the data mining, all the automation in the world that Google and Facebook have, have created have not created a situation where they can use automation to verify that they're not you know, agents of foreign governments running ads inside their platform. What? <laughs> um, uh, or or that the, the context or the environment um, is, you know, is inappropriate. Yeah. Brand and, safe, right? Yeah. Brand yeah. safe. And, and so I, I think you characterize that, that disconnect between what the promise of what ad mark tech 
uh, technology should be and the delta from what it is right now. You know, and and so it's about catching up and the agencies need to play their part in, in helping to catch up um, and the technology platforms need to play their part in helping to, to catch up and close the gap. So take a couple steps back and sure. we introduced digital X amount of years ago and that, that sort of beget mobile, whatever it might be. And then it was programmatic buying and selling. Mm-hmm. And each step of the way in the media markets, there was this very meaningful change management moment, which they were caught off guard by a dynamic that was fairly well understood, both in timing and magnitude. It just didn't suit their interests very well at the time. And it took them a while to adjust to what were, at that time, macro trends. How much of it is that the agency in ad tech is still playing catch up to the consumer? And they just haven't brought the talent in fast enough to actually sort of lead the charge and what the next version of media should look like. I would agree with that. They, they are still playing uh, catch up, certainly in comparison to where the consultancies are with their database abilities, uh, data and strategy capabilities, and certainly where the uh, tech companies are with, uh, with their own uh, walled gardens. What I think the agencies don't get credit for is the distance that they've closed. Um, there are a number of holding companies that have built PII data platforms. Dentsu Aegis has built M1, which they essentially acquired from their, their Merkle purchase. And they have pretty much the population of the United States identifiable. And then they're able to, in turn, anonymize and market back out to them. WPP's built a similar system called W Platform. Uh, IPG is working on one called AMP that connects with their their media database called Unity. And Omnicom has uh, similar capabilities with their Analect division, which is a, a data company that's part of uh, Omnicom Media Group. And and so they're getting there. And and as they're able to put together these data platforms that can that can power their execution, um, they're going to get more efficient. They're going to become more transparent. And they're going to become more meaningful and, and powerful to their clients. But isn't part of the issue the actual like operating model of some of these holding companies, right, where they're not threading the needle and connecting it for the CMO and the marketing teams where you may be working with Analect, but then all other little agencies along the way. And you want that more holistic view of what is that experience for consumers across, you know, all touch points. Yeah. And that's. That's a huge issue. It's not a, it's not a new issue. It's just still remains it, a big deal. It, it, it absolutely remains a big deal because if you think about even our understanding of the of the customer lifecycle, the multi phase uh, approach from from discovering a brand or a product or a service and actually buying it to using it to engaging with it to providing feedback, the agency ecosphere across the lifecycle is all fragmented. There's a different agency for each phase. Um, or maybe some of them cover a couple of phases. That's certainly a, 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 a fault of the agency. It's also a fault of the client. That's how clients structure their budgets mm-hmm. and how they structure themselves internally. One of the things that needs to be rectified with all this is that agencies, agency cultures emulate their clients. And so if clients want more integrated agency, they need to become more integrated cultures. It's an interesting comment because one of the dynamics that could be perceived as negative is that CMOs are increasingly... Um, tasked with driving the CX initiatives, the customer experience initiatives, whether in part or in whole. The net outcome of that is you're moving what would media funds over to CX and to your point, moving it across that life cycle. So now the CMO is much more tuned into how do our acquired customers actually work with us 
And how, do they stay with us? Do they churn out? Do they enrich? What is, what is the life of our clients? And I'm going to focus on the word life for a second, which is the really good ones start thinking about what's, how does the customer live their life and how do I add value to that life? And so I'm getting closer and closer to a human being. I mean, this is a dynamic we've explored in a number of our podcasts, but the media market is not centered on thinking about human beings and emotions, is not centered on thinking of it from a lifestyle. They're centered on is how often can I get, get something in front of them independent, of, you know, across all the different channels. It's a very different thought process. And it seems like the CMOs are starting to pay attention to this idea of, I need to start centering my entire thinking around my customer as a human being and how he or she lives their lives. It's that, that should be influencing the design of ads, creative, the whole bit. Yeah, there's a definitely in the agency perspective, there is an overemphasis on the acquisition portion uh, of the activity. They're very concerned about mass campaigns, you know, mass style campaigns that 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 are you know brand out, if you will, mm-hmm. kind of broadcasting a story and broadcasting a, a, a point of view, and and they're not doing what they should be doing to to think about how they continue that relationship and the ways that they continue that relationship, yeah. which is why the consultants I think are doing um, are are coming into this space and are, and are performing very well because they are thinking about they are thinking about it in a more robust way and they're thinking about it in a more holistic way. Yeah, it's interesting. Our CX index results here show that for many markets and arguably for most markets, churn rate is going up and it's going up because customers expect more are getting less or getting the same and their tolerance declines and so they'll move. And if, if I'm only in the acquisition game, I'm just sort of in this washing machine of churn. And to your point, the consultants are sitting there saying, you know, the basis of churn is to retain, enrich and make happy. I mean, don't accept the churn, but actually to attack it. To your point, that's a different point of strength there. And are the agencies equipped to go to that direction to actually look at how customers live their lives after they have been acquired? Increasingly, they're becoming uh, better equipped at that. And and it goes back to what I was describing before with their PII data platforms. Um, Some of those are being built organically. Some of those are being acquired. So in the instance of uh, Dentsu Aegis, when they've acquired Merkel, Merkel is very adept at the ability to um, to build customer relationships. Omnicom created Omnicom Performance Marketing Group, which is a, a new group that's comprised of a couple of different Omnicom entities. They've brought RAP in for its direct capabilities. They've brought in Proximity for its digital capabilities, and they're using the Analect division as the the data experts. And there's there are other entities involved in that, but they're 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 bringing more of a holistic approach so that they can begin to market to customers on, on the on the back end of the of the life cycle. And so they're, they're they are they are again they're playing catch up to this. But this is where they actually can even lead because they have data that the consultants don't have and they can intermingle it with data they can actually mine from their clients. Customer, I mean the, yeah, the end, customer data. So this idea that data is fuel is a wonderful concept. It's hard to convert that fuel to energy. Um, if they can get at that, would be a significant boon for them. And and they do. I mean, I think you make an important ca- connection there, which is the you know the PII part being the first party data, if you will, connected back to all of their media business, which is third party data, and right. then that that kind of virtual exchange of information around a single identity and a customer would be a great way to to move forward. And I think I think that that's I think that's part of what they're 
trying to put together. There's a lot of consolidation, a lot of mergers in the agency holding company world. And they're, they're starting to, they're, they're using an agency team approach um, in some instances where they'll put together a dedicated team of multiple companies across their holding company uh, to address a client. McDonald's is an example of that with uh, We Are Unlimited in the Omnicom group. Publicis just won uh, uh, global uh, responsibilities for Mercedes using their Publicis Power of One concept. Mm. Power of One is, again, uh, the ability to go through the, the company, find the best resource, marshal it, and bring it together uh, on behalf of the, of the Mercedes client. They are waking, if you will, to these things or have awoken to these things and are addressing these things. So before we went on air, I threatened the team that I was going to use a four-letter word. So I'm going to use a four-letter word. GDPR. <laughs> so I'm so excited I was yeah. here for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When, when Jay's cringing. Yeah. <laughs> so we spoke with Enza and Fatiba, and we asked a simple question, which is on May 26th, the day after GDPR comes into play, who's most susceptible to their attention? And they, at least uh, Fatima, went right at the MarTech ad tech world, which has been, on the whole, relatively sloppy with data. Not the agencies, but just on the whole, the entire environment, and it's caught the. It will likely catch the attention of the regulators. How, how do you see GDPR playing out with them? Well, the agencies will react very quickly to their clients' um, not so subtle uh, motivation to 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 get it together and make sure that there there's no <laughs> there's no slippage. I mean, there are already some examples of agencies preparing for uh, GDPR. Oh, it have to be, yeah. I mean, certainly with with um, with all of the their, their media activity and their media uh, companies inside uh, any of the large holding companies, they, they are already working towards um, GDPR compliance. The question is, is like, you know, what have they done and what's left to do? Yeah. I think that we'll remains see. to be seen. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> It'll be a summer movie. A horror film. Oh, baby. <laughs> I'm going to go back to one of the pieces we started with, which is the agencies have always been arguably the best at creative talent, at storytelling. And in many of our discussions, we sort of bemoan the lost art of storytelling. How much is that coming to play so that they get to reclaim the space that they've owned for you know, arguably forever? Yeah. The smart ones are, are, are working on more contemporized expressions of storytelling. And let me give you an example of what I mean by contemporized. Um, one agency that I interacted with recently was building a chatbot for a client. And they went out and had conversations, these really elaborate conversations with, uh, with their employees so that they could capture the, the, the words that they use, the tone of voice that they use, and translate that into the, into the chatbot so that the chatbot was truly kind of a branded expression of the client's brand. I think that's a great example of taking what normally is a tone of voice that expressed in a, in a television commercial or in a print ad and putting it into a, into a piece of technology. Mm. And so the smart agencies are doing that. The smart agencies are taking their creatives that are very adept at storytelling and training them in other areas, up, up training them so that they, they become more prolific in, in the use of technology. So before we go, is there any ground we want to cover that we have not covered? There's two points that I'd love to make if, it, okay. if, it's, if you'll indulge me. Sure. <laughs> With all the, the, the financial earnings reporting, the announcement that's, that Unilever and, and P&G have made, even announcements where Nike is using reverse auction bidding processes to select agencies, all of this is, is you know, is, they're very bad omens for the agency industry. And, and it's very tempting for us to, to ask the question, are they going to be able to make it, mm -hmm. you know? 
are we going to start to see agencies, you know, dropping? And I think the answer is no. What we're going to see and what we're starting to see is agencies changing. They're reacting to this situation proactively by merging, by consolidating, by offering and creating new integrated offerings, uh, by putting together large data platforms. And so really what we should be asking ourselves is what are agencies going to become? What do they look like in 2020 kind of thing? Exactly. Mm-hmm. I think there are a couple of different flavors of agencies. Um, one is certainly a leaner entity for sure, where it's, it, it's built off of uh, all the technology infrastructure that, they've, that they're putting in place and they're able to scale back but uh, express themselves across a broader uh, portion of the customer lifecycle. So one I kind of call is the, like the lean agency um, that's powered by some technology. I also think we'll see the rebirth of creative boutiques. You know, we've talked about the the loss of of, of creativity um, and and the ability to, to to tell the story in today's marketing environment. But I think that's going to come back because as as companies complete their digital transformation, uh, and they have these system these very elaborate connected systems, all of a sudden they start to the experience starts to look alike. You know, like I can there's so many different apps where I can pre order my cup of coffee. You know, it, it becomes table stakes to a, to a certain extent. Well, it's a danger of sca- the danger of scale is I can scale, and there I search for easy. And right. creative is always searching for different. And the question is, can they have different and easy coexist in the same place? That's a that's a great way to put it. The search for different. I think the search for different is going to come back after once the the job of scaling is done, hmm. um, and and that pendulum will swing back in favor of uh, of the agencies. Um, and then I think the last one is um, becoming more consultative. And what I mean by that is, is if a lot of responsibilities moving either into consultants or into uh, an in-house agency where they're actually executing the buy or creating content, then they'll be using the agencies as a, uh, as a strategy resource to help them figure out what to do with it. Well, the best example you gave me was the idea that they're going to mine the actual human beings for the most authentic voice possible Therefore, they're going to help redefine or hone the version of the brand. You know, brands can also get gangly and they sort of lose their way. So maybe the agencies can come back there and create sort of the uniqueness of that voice in a market where, as you say, there's so many voices. Yeah. So, Jay, we started this conversation with the announcement from WPP. And you appropriately said, although interesting, it does not portend the sort of the demolition of the agency. It just teaches the the agency that they have to adjust and will sort of coach the entire ecosystem that is going to be look very different in 2020. So I'm a CMO out there and I'm and I'm concerned about the productivity of the spend I have. I still have concerns about opacity and sort of the overcomplexity. And I but I still I need to keep my acquisition engine in place. And I need to be able to find sort of that authentic way to deliver experiences. So I kind of need that creative talent. So what does it mean to me to sort of help guide my agency relationships along the way so I get the very best out of something that's changing? I think CMOs need to recognize that there's no viable replacement for their agencies other than another agency um, or an internal resource. And so therefore it becomes a task of figuring out what they want in-house versus what they want external. Um, and you understand what you want in-house by understanding what your strengths are and, and understanding where you want to make those investments. It's typically more evergreen digital 
marketing capabilities and allow the campaign creative capabilities to remain uh, outsourced so that you can ebb and flow and flex your uh, your activity and your marketing as you need. Thanks for your time, Jay. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Want to hear more from Jay? Join him at Consumer Marketing Forum, where he'll discuss how to assemble the right marketing ecosystem to succeed in today's complex and changing marketing world. For more information and to reserve your seat in New York City, visit forcom slash Consumer Marketing 2018. That's forr.com slash Consumer Marketing 2018. Thanks for listening.